hear last week's sermon, I just want to strongly encourage you to go listen to it. And if uh, you're new here, it wasn't my sermon, uh, so I'm not encouraged. I didn't. I wouldn't say go listen to that sermon I preached last week. It was awesome. It's only because it was Shane preaching last week that I say it was that awesome because it was, and uh, it was convicting for me. So if you have a chance this week, please go back and listen uh, to that sermon. Uh, so once you find First uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen verses one through twelve, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. It says this: Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks uh, to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in the building up the church. Let's pray. God, we come to you humbly, Lord, asking that by your spirit at work in us, that you would open up our eyes to see all the glories and treasures contained in your word, God. And by it, we would be, uh, Lord, commissioned and uh, motivated to reach the world with the gospel, starting with the one. The one may be a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, a friend, God. Always, God, use your word and your spirit to empower us, strengthen us, and commission us out into the world. I pray that this morning as we see the, the gifts that you've given the church to build up one another, that we would use our gifts in the context of worship for the upbuilding of the church, for the good of one another. God, I also want to beseech you this morning. Tony Parker, God, Lord, have mercy on him, God. God, I pray that you would just intervene, strengthen his body, give him relief. Lord, I pray that you would be with his doctor, Dr. Godkey. I pray that you would be with his nurse, Bess, that God, they would be able, that you would give them wisdom as they care for Tony right now, God, that you would give them just clarity on what is the best, God, best thing that they can do for his health and well-being. 
Lord, I pray for Glenda. Give her just supernatural strength in this moment as she cares for Tony. God, let them feel the prayers of your people here at Crosspoint. Let them feel your love, God, from people here at Crosspoint. And that, God, you would just have mercy on them, be gracious to them, and make your face shine upon them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we've been recently familiar with um, with the the Russia Russian uh, Russia Ukraine situation of martial law. Uh, if you don't know what martial law is, it's kind of temporary guidelines that go on in a country in a state of of panic or chaos or wartime, where there's temporary operating guidelines. So there's curfews that are imposed and things like that, and they're temporary. They're just for particular seasons of time when there might be a war or another state of emergency. But they are temporary operating guidelines, and when everything goes back to normal, they cease, they end. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the details that Paul gives us, these are, these are temporary operating guidelines of prophecy and tongues until the day of the Lord's return, when all gifts will pass away, is what we heard from 1 Corinthians 13 last week, is that there is coming a day when Christ will return in all gifts will pass away. But until that day, the manner and method in which, particularly here in 1 Corinthians 14, that gifts and prophecies uh, should operate. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is telling us, is that this is the way that they should operate in the life and the context of the church. And particularly here, in the context of worship, prophecy should be the preferred gift. But Underneath all this, underneath prophecy and tongues, because we can get caught up on those two things a lot, but the undercurrent, the undercurrent principle in here in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 12 is this, is that corporate edification, mean the group, the body, edification, mean the building up, corporate edification should be prioritized in the exercise of spiritual gifts in the context of corporate worship. So that is the undercurrent principle in this section on prophecy and tongues. Corporate edification is to be prioritized when we talk about how we use our gifts. And so we're going to look at two points here. The first point is going to cover 11 verses. The second point is going to cover one verse. And so the first point is this here. It's pursuit, preference, and prophecy. Love is to be pursued and prophecy is to be preferred in the context of worship because it builds up the body. Pursuit, preference, and prophecy. Let me ask you a question. Imagine a, uh, a family of seven. Family of seven people. Mom, dad, five kids. What, uh, what would you think is the most economic or practical vehicle a family of seven could purchase? Uh, yeah, I was saying the same thing. A Bugatti, right? I, I, I thought the same thing, Bugatti. Particularly the Bugatti La Vaucher Nore. That's Italian. And I can't tell you that I pronounced it correctly because I don't speak Italian. But it's certainly the most economic vehicle that a family of seven could buy is the Bugatti. Just listen to some of the specifications of this. So the price is $19 million. <laughs> Chunk change for a preacher, right? The engine is an eight-point liter. Turbocharged W16, transmission, seven-speed dual clutch, horsepower, 1,500, right? torque, 1,180, 
and it goes zero to 60 in under three seconds. And the best part about this car for a family is that the miles per gallon, right? 10.5. I mean, it's the perfect car for a family of seven. It'll get you to Disney World really quickly. But it'll cost you $8 billion to fill it up, right? So certainly not. That is not, that is not the most beneficial car for a family of seven. Sure, it's, it's flashy, it's fast, it's fun to drive. Dad may enjoy it a lot, right? But it really doesn't benefit the family and meet their needs, right? This kind of car. And this is the idea that Paul's getting at here when he speaks about tongues and prophecy, is that tongues may seem like the spiritually superior gift. It may seem like the flashy gift, Uh, in the repertoire of spiritual gifts. But if left uninterpreted, tongues, if left uninterpreted, tongues don't benefit or meet the needs of the whole congregation. Doesn't do it. Because in the context of worship, love is to be pursued and prophecy is preferable because it benefits the whole body. And this is what we're going to get into today. And I want to start off by reading this quote from one author. It says this, it sets us up really well. That is not to say that the other gifts are without value. Just because we're talking about prophecy in tongues here, it doesn't mean all the other gifts are, are dispensed. But that the Corinthians have been wrong to focus their pursuit on the gift of tongues. So they've had a problem where the Corinthians have said, man, the gift of tongues is the best. It's the most superior, spiritually superior gift. The flashiest, the best, because everybody knows when somebody's speaking in tongues. Their pursuit on the gift of tongues when actually the gift of prophecy provides more of what the church desperately needs, and that's edification, and is more consistent with the concern for others. That is the mark of love. That is why prophecy is to be preferred over tongues. And this is how Paul begins with the first two words, pursue love. I mean, this is what we talked about last week, right? Love, and Shane gave us some reorienting kind of benchmarks there that it's not just about marriage yes love is shown in marriage but this love in first corinthians 13 is about love in the context of the body of christ and so paul's continuing with that that line of thought hey in when you practice your spiritual gifts when you think about prophecy in tongues hear this the framework and motivation for how you use your gifts is love that's the framework for how you use your gifts and that's the motivation for your gifts is love so pursue love when you use your gifts. And then he goes on to say, earnestly desire the gifts and desire prophecy, especially. Well, why would he say especially prophecy? Why would he say that? Why would Paul later on, or actually earlier on in 1231 say that prophecy is the higher gift? What makes it more uh, preferable? What makes it higher in this sense than tongues? Well, Paul's going to say, because of how it functions and what is required of tongues, it means that prophecy is better. And so, this should be on your outline, but there's five reasons Paul lines out for us in verses 2 through 11 of why prophecy is preferable to tongues. And we're just going to, we're going to knock these off real quick. The first point is this, in verse 2, the first reason that prophecy is preferable to tongues is this, prophecy speaks to men and tongues speak to God. This is in verse 2. 
is that the audience is what distinguishes the preference here, is that the audience of tongues is communing with God, as one uh, author, David Garland, says. But prophecy is communication with others, with the body of Christ. And so the direction and the audience makes these two gifts different and what makes prophecy preferable. Second point, second reason is this. Prophecy is upbuilding, encouraging, and consoling. This is what he says in verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. And this actually can help maybe redirect what we think about prophesy. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, when we think about prophecy, we always think about that person standing you know, in, front of a, in front of a crystal ball and looking into the future, right? That's what we think about prophecy, right? Oh, I see. Oh, I see in the lines on your hand and your palms. You, man, you're going to have some bad days ahead of you, right? That's what we kind of think about prophecy. But, man, here in verse 3, it kind of gives us a different picture of what prophecy is, right? It's for upbuilding and consolation and encouragement. Gordon Fee says this. He says, these words set forth the parameters of the divine intent of prophecy and probably indicate that in Paul's view, the primary focus of a prophetic utterance is not the future, but the present situations of the people of God. So prophecy isn't necessarily about seeing the future, but about what is going on in the life of the church and speaking directly into that. That seems to be what prophecy is, prophetic utterance. Uh, Listen to what Acts 15 says, because this gives us a good picture of what, what are prophets doing in the life of the church, and particularly in the life of the early church. Acts 15, verses 30 through 32 say this. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. You see what they're doing, Judas and Silas? They're known as prophets in the life of the church. And the words that they're speaking to the church are strengthening them and encouraging them. Right? Paul will go on to say that part of his ministry was to exhort and encourage the church. So we see that prophecy isn't necessarily about looking into the future. Is that What it does for the church is that it strengthens our faith. It encourages those who are discouraged or may need encouragement in godliness and that it also consoles the suffering prophecy is for the upbuilding and encouragement and consoling of the church that's number two number three number third reason why prophecy is preferable prophecy builds up the church and tongues build up the individual this is verse four now it's not wrong for you to consider how your gifts may benefit you right It's not wrong to use your gift and to personally benefit from it spiritually. But in the context of worship, when we gather together for worship, is that our gifts should be meaningful and beneficial to the whole body. Let me use an example. You never remember when you were a kid in school and you brought a candy bar with you and uh, you started eating it. What would the teacher say? You got enough to share with everybody? Well, no, this is a Kit Kat, and like there's 30 people in this class. Everybody take a bite. 
And so, but what the teacher was trying to get across is this, corporate benefit. How do what you have benefit the whole? And you would say, well, it doesn't. And this is what Paul is trying to get at here. Is that tongues builds up the individual, but prophecy builds, there's corporate benefit to it. Because if you remember, the whole thing about gifts, starting in 1 Corinthians 12, is that they're to be for what? The common, anybody remember that word? The common good. That the use of our gifts in the context of worship are to be for the common good. Not for the individual good, for the common good. Right? And so Paul desires them. I mean, he's not trying to like, uh, to, to downplay the gift of tongues. But he's saying there's benefit from it. But only if interpreted. And so that's why prophecy is preferable. And that he desires people to all speak in tongues, but even more so prophesy. Because if, if all spoke in tongues, and it was interpreted and involved prophesied, then all would benefit, not just some. And that's what makes prophecy the greater and preferable gift in the church. Prophecy also, number four, requires no interpretation. Is that unlike tongues, prophecy requires no one to interpret it. All are able to hear and to understand and comprehend the intelligible utterance. And it immediately benefits the body, unlike tongues does, where it has to go through interpretation. It immediately benefits those who hear in the context of worship. Number five is that prophecy is intelligible. This is verses six through 11. Paul's going to spend a lot of his time using analogies and, and examples of why it's important for tongues to be intelligible, which makes prophecy preferable because it is intelligible. Because he says, verse six, what benefit would it be to you? If I came speaking in tongues and there was no one to interpret, what benefit, what good would it do for you? None. And so he uses examples of instruments to explain the importance of comprehension. Because the, the flute, the harp, the horn, if it's not discernible to the hearer, then how can it be beneficial to them? I don't, um, you know, I, I may have shared this with some of you. I know I ser- shared it with the pastor search team. Uh, in the interview process, but they were um, surprised to hear that uh, in high school, and I was in a punk rock band. Uh, I don't, it was surprising to them. I don't know if I give off that uh, that demeanor disposition of a punk rocker, headbanger uh, kind of guy, but I am. So. But I was in a, I was, I was uh, in a band, and um, and I remember the first time we played for an audience. This was in eighth grade, and uh, played for our, our eighth grade talent show. And we <laughs> played a Hoobastank song. If you don't know the band, it's okay. Anybody know the band? Yeah, the reason, right? Uh, it's a big song, classic. And uh, let me just say, our performance and our song choice, it was incomprehensible. Not in a good way. Not like, God, that just rocked my socks off. That was incomprehensible. No, it was incomprehensible because people didn't know what we were playing. It was incomprehensible. It benefited nobody but the people who were playing it. And it barely benefited me. I was like, man, I feel like we're playing three different songs up here. You know. Uh, yeah, so you know, it's never a good thing when you have to tell people the song that you're playing afterwards. Oh, that's the song you were playing? 
Yeah, I can kind of hear that now. And so it was not discernible. It was not recognizable. And so that's what Paul's trying to get at in 6 through 11 is that it does no benefit for the body if tongues go uninterpreted because it's not discernible to the ear. Nobody can comprehend them. And so to do so is like what he says in verse 9. It's like speaking into the air. And so he'll go on to say it's like instruments that have no discernible notes. It's even like human language. When you're speaking two different languages and there's almost there's confusion there. Because there's a necessity for the speaker to understand and also the hearer to understand. I, you've probably been in a situation, maybe in another country, where you've been unable to speak the language. So what do you resort to? I want chicken. Chicken. Bah, 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 you know. And they know what you're saying, but they just want you to do the hand motions and, and make you look like that, right? But if you've ever been into another country and you don't know the language, you are, you know, you're pointing at stuff and you're making faces and you're making hand motions just to try and get language across. And as you know, sometimes that creates confusion between, between the two people, right? Trying to communicate with one another. Creates confusion. Both are confused. Well, Paul goes on to say this in verse 10 and 11. He says, not only does uninterpreted tongues and, and uh, cause confusion in the body, but it also may even call division in the body. Look at what he says in verse 10. For there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So there's some division and alienation that is going on in the Corinthian church where people are speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation going on. And so it creates divisions and alienation within the body of Christ where people feel alienated because they don't understand what is going on. One author says it like this, Paul's critique of tongues implies that it does more than simply create frustration. It erects barriers of alienation because there's no comprehension going on. And so those are the reasons why prophecy is preferable to tongues. And so Paul's argument here in these first 11 verses is this. Look, if tongues are not interpreted, then they are unintelligible. If they are unintelligible, they are not meaningful. If they are not meaningful, then they are not beneficial. And even worse, if left uninterpreted, they may even be divisive. And so, this is what Paul's trying to get across to the Corinthians. Like, look, there's benefits to tongues when interpreted in the context of worship. But prophecy is preferable because it builds up the body and it benefits and it seeks the common good, not the individual's good. And so here's some things to think about just from this. Is that we have to remember, love is the framework and motivation for the use of our gifts. So you've all been, you've been given gifts. You've been given gifts, spiritual gifts. And so what you now have to think about is this. Do you serve or utilize your gifts for your own self-promotion? And Shane has discussed this previously. Do you? Do you use or utilize your gifts for your own self-promotion, for your own kind of exaltation? Because if you do so, 
If that is the reason is to be seen, to be heard, or to kind of check the box off or let people know that you've contributed somehow, then guess what? It does the body no good and it does not bring glory to the one who gave you the gift. Is that if we utilize or serve in ways that promote ourselves, then what we're doing is we are not bringing glory to the one who gave us the gifts, nor are we benefiting those who we are supposed to be using our gifts for. Because what Paul is trying to, he's not just trying to teach them about tongues, he's trying to teach them about the body of Christ, the church. And that they are to be corporate-minded and not individualistic-minded. To think about the whole and not just the piece, the piece that they are. Is that we have to change the way that we ask the question of impact and effect. Because we always think... When we're, in, when we're in a body like this, when we're in a church like this, we always think, how is this going to impact me? How is this going to affect me? But what Paul's getting at here with the spiritual gifts is that that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The question is, how does this impact and affect us? Go from me to us. Even in the use of spiritual gifts. Because a lot of times in the body of Christ, we do this, and this is what's McKay included, is that I prioritize my own personal benefits above the corporate benefits. We tend to think this, if it doesn't benefit me, then it's no good. We got to get rid of it. We got to get, it, it, it doesn't benefit me, then stop. I, 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 we don't need to do it anymore. But could we possibly consider this? Maybe it doesn't benefit you at all. But could it possibly benefit somebody else in the body? Oh, no. If it doesn't benefit me, it's terrible. It's bad. Get rid of it. Cut it out. Could it possibly benefit somebody else? Could, could there be a slight chance? You know, and we can take this to whatever it may be. Man, I hated that song that the band played. That's the worst song in the world. That, that's terrible. We should never play that song again. Could you possibly, well, let's just take, take consideration, could possibly that song that we played actually benefit somebody else and not you? Po possibly? Is there a chance with that? That maybe the song that we played, sure, maybe you didn't like it. You know the sermon that, that I preached before? Maybe you didn't like it. But maybe it benefited one person. I pray. <laughs> right? This is what it means to be corporate-minded and not individualistic-minded. To think, how does this benefit the good of the body? And not just me. Because guess what? Christ, Christ laid down his life for his bride. His church. For the good of his church. And so the way in which Christ lays down his life for his church, for the good of his people, is that now that expands our view of not just us individually, but all the people for which Christ has laid down his life for. Right? And so Paul is trying to get us in the context of using prophecy and tongues in the church, the undercurring principle, the undercurrent is this. Have you considered the corporate benefits and maybe not just your own individual benefits to move forward? And so this is the bedrock that, that Paul lays out here in the first 11 verses. And so as we move to the last verse of this, Paul is now going to commend us to eagerness and excellence as we exercise 
our spiritual gifts in the church. And so this is point number two, our final point. Verse 12, eagerness, excellence, edification. Remember these words. Eagerness, excellence, edification. You know, we see children and we see the energy and the passion that they have and you see you see just all the things that they get into and you don't want to squash a child's energy and a child's passion and a child's zeal, right? You just want to channel it, right, to the right things. Use it for good and not for evil, please, right? There's some, of, some parents who I've heard say, this child is either going to be president or a criminal. One of the two. They're, they're, they're either going to be a great leader or they're going to be the one that the leaders all dread. Right? And so we want to say, oh, you have so much energy. Wes, little boy, you, you, you play, this is my mom, you play so many jokes in school, so many pranks on your teachers. What if you directed all that attention on your study? Mom, then it wouldn't be as fun. I mean, like, seriously. What, what if you just directed, you know, the pranks, the time? That you spent a lot of time preparing and planning out pranks. What, what if you use that to do math homework? How is that even, like, a, equal? Right? My, my mom was trying to channel my energy and my passion and my zeal and my desires, right? Not squash them. Well, actually, she did want to squash those. She did want to squash those. But this is, this is Paul's intent here in the first 11 verses as he talks about spiritual tongues. Is that Paul's intent with all these kind of directives and instructions about spiritual gifts, they're not meant to squ- just squash or, or uh, quell the, the spirit of the Corinthians as it pertains to the use of their spiritual gifts. But his goal is to redirect their attention and their eagerness to the intended goal of spiritual gifts. The good of the body. So, yeah, you're using all these gifts. You're using prophecy and tongues, particularly tongues, especially kind of uh, unordered, unfiltered, kind of chaotically. But if you channel that and direct that at what they are intended for, that will bring the most benefit and edification of the body and the most glory to God. And so this is what he's encouraging us here, is that the church should eagerly desire, eagerly desire and pursue the right exercise of the gifts for the edification of the body. And, and I just want to put a pinpoint on eager in verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. A very similar word happens in Ephesians 4 when he says, uh, be eager, eager for unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That there is a desire and a pursuit of those things, peace and unity within the body. And now he's saying is that in us, we should have an eagerness about using our gifts, seeing the Spirit's work in our lives and in the lives of the other people that we worship with. Is that there should be a longing and a desire to see the Spirit at work among us in the use of our gifts. Is there an eagerness in you? Are you eager to see the work of the Spirit in the people here at Crosspoint and others? Are you desirous and eager to utilize your gifts in the body of Crosspoint? Or are you content with consuming 
and not producing? Are you content with consuming and not producing? Because being eager for manifestations of the Spirit, being eager to see the Spirit at work, what that's going to do is that's going to cause us to use our gifts. So right now, many of us may have fallen into complacency, may have fallen into just monotony or just uh, coasting here. And what he says of this is for the, the Corinthians is that there's an there is an expectation of eagerness and longing and desire to use your gifts. Do you, do you have an eagerness to serve the body here at Crosspoint for the good of Crosspoint, the body of Christ here? Is there an eagerness within you? And, and what he also gives is that, look, your eagerness should not outrun your pursuit of love and your goal of edification. So look, Corinthians may think, let's all, let's all speak in tongue. Let's all prophesy all at the same time. Man, I'm really eager to see the manifestation of the Spirit here. I'm really eager to see all, all use the gifts. So wh- whoever you are, just use them no matter what. No, no order or chaos, all about it. He says, look, 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 be eager, but let love and edification guard and guide you in the use of your gifts. Remember, pursue love. Eagerly desire the gifts. And maintain the goal of building up of the church. Don't let your eagerness outrun your pursuit of love and your desire for the building of the body. And when we use our gifts, he wants us to continue to strive for excellence. Strive to excel. Is that we shouldn't become complacent in the use of our gifts. Pursue excellence. Get better at Pursuing the proper exercise of your spiritual gifts. Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, talking about generosity and giving. And he says, strive for excellence in this area. So get better at being generous. Get better, strive for excellence in giving to the needs of the body of Christ. And he's using the same word here. Excel at using your gift. So maybe you've been given the gift of wisdom or service, or teaching, or mercy, or generosity, whatever it may be. Are you thinking right now, how can I use my gift more in the body of Christ to benefit the body of Christ? How can I get better, enhance my gift of teaching, of wisdom? Am I looking for opportunities to use this? Or am I sitting on my hands? This is what Paul wants us to think about. If you have an eagerness, are you now striving to excel at using your gifts? Are you looking for opportunities to use them? Strive to excel at these. Because when we are eager and when we seek to excel, the goal and the benefit will be the building up of the church. That's how he ends. Building up the church. The goal of spiritual gifts is always the building up of the church. Tom Schreiner says it this way, the church will flourish and prosper when gifts are sought out for the sake of others. Cross point, we will will benefit, grow, and flourish when we are using our gifts, not for our own sake, but for for, for the sake of others. That is how. And that when we use our gifts, it changes how we think about our corporate worship time when we come together on Sunday morning. 
is that here on Sunday mornings, just by way of application, I want you to think about this, is that here on Sunday mornings, we're not trying to sell an experience here. We're not trying to sell an experience here. We're trying to do things that promote the worship of God for the edification of the church as outlined in the scriptures. Let me say that one more time. Is that we're not trying to sell an experience here. We're trying to promote the worship of God for the edification of the church as outlined in the scriptures. And this is what makes what we do here on Sunday mornings different from a concert that you would go to on Saturday nights. Is that on Saturday nights when you go to a concert, you're thinking about how does this personally benefit me and what experience am I going to have when I go to this concert? But when you go to a corporate worship service, it's the exact opposite. You consider the experience and the benefit of those gathered together with you. So we're not trying to sell an experience here in corporate worship. We're trying to promote the worship of God. And so that's how we have to, we must approach as we gather here on Sunday mornings and we exercise and use our gifts. It's not about what I can get and what experience I can have. I want to read two quotes off to you real that that to really pay attention to what these authors said because it is very pointed and I think affects affects me and affects everything that we do here on Sunday morning. This one he says, Gordon Fee. The point of everything, the point of everything in corporate worship is not personal experience in the spirit but the building up of the church itself. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. And so they should, not, they should probably not be turned into a corporate gathering for a thousand individual experiences of worship. It is corporate worship. Right? Another author says it this way. How many Christians gather for worship with the understanding that it is not not about what they might gain from the experience, but that their participation in worship be focused on seeking to benefit and build up those who have gathered together. Think about that change of thought. Is that when we come to worship on Sunday mornings, that we walk in the doors not saying, what am I going to get from here? Like we're walking to McDonald's. What am I going to get from walking in here? But rather that it would be changed that when we walk through these doors and when we gather together, we say, what can, how can I benefit others by my presence and my use of gifts here? And so, you know, we might, we might have had this experience before where you say to yourself, man, I didn't, I didn't get nothing out of that service. I didn't get that spiritual high. I didn't get that mountaintop feeling. I didn't get that earth-shaking experience from worship today. Man, something must be wrong with that preacher. Man, something must be wrong with the music that we played. Man, something must be wrong with the people sitting around me. Bad mojo. Something must be wrong with them. Let me ask you two questions. Could possibly the problem be with you? Let me ask you the second question. Maybe that's not even what God wants to produce in you from corporate worship. 
Maybe the problem, if we don't have this mountaintop experience, earth-shaking, earth-shaking feeling, maybe, maybe we shouldn't throw the blame on somebody else, what they didn't do for me. Maybe we should think, maybe there's a problem with me. Second, maybe that's not even what God wants to produce in us from corporate worship. Maybe we should ask the question of this. When we go together to worship, is that how can I seek the good and the benefit of others in our worship together in the use of our gifts? Rather than my participation be all about consuming, what if it were all about benefiting others with my presence and my gifts here? Think about how all that changes. Is that for the Corinthians, that their, their idea was, I'm going to go to worship with the church. I'm going to use my gift of tongues regardless of who it benefits, regardless of what good it does for anybody else, because it's just going to be good for me to use my gifts. Rather, why don't we change that where we think about this. When I go to worship, I'm going to use my gifts for the good of the others around me that gather here today. And then maybe it's not about me. Maybe it is about us. Maybe it's about us and not about me. And this, is how the gospel compels what we do and how we use our gifts here in the church. This is how the gospel compels our use of gifts. Is that we use our gifts for the sake of others and for the benefit of others. And man, how is that not especially and perfectly displayed in what Christ has done for us? That what Christ has done may not have brought him any benefit here on this earth. But actually what he was doing was actually seeking the good and the benefit of others in what he did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. The New Testament makes it very clear over and over again. For our sake, for our sake, for our sake. 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he who knew no sin, what? Became sin. For our sake. That truth of the gospel that Christ comes for our sake, for our good, to bring us benefit that we could not bring on ourselves, the good that we cannot do for ourselves, is that Christ comes for our benefit and for our good. And he dies. And he gives us something that we could not get on our own. He gives us life, forgiveness, and grace, and mercy through His life, death, and resurrection. It was for our sake, on our behalf, that Christ died. And now, that truth of the gospel, that truth of the gospel now compels us in how we use our gifts in the life of the body, where we don't say, how is my gift and how is my presence here going to benefit me, but rather, how is my presence and how is my gifts used here going to benefit others? We have to move from individual mindedness to corporate mindedness because that is the mind of Christ. What is the benefit of others? This is what our Savior has done for us and has taught us. Is that He did it for the good of others. And so we now seek the spiritual well-being of others and how we exercise our gifts here in the church. This morning, I want to 
speak to the Christians here, followers of Jesus, members of Crosspoint. Are you using your gifts? Is the gospel compelling you that you know that Christ has died and been raised from the, from the dead for your sake, for your benefit? Now, how do you use your gifts for the benefit of others? Are you seeking your own benefit? Or are you considering how you use your gifts and how they affect others? Second is this. To the unbeliever who may be watching, who may be in this room today, this morning, you can receive the goods and the benefits that Christ has accomplished. That He has taken on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That He died to sin so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. All this He did for our sake this morning. You can have all the benefits that comes with Christ. That by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, knowing that you are a sinner and that you have nothing to offer that would benefit God, but that He has done everything and offered you all things through His Son by Christ giving up His own life. That this morning you can, through faith, through turning away from your sin, you can experience the benefits of God's grace and mercy and freedom and forgiveness and love because Christ has done it for our sake and for our good. This morning, if you would love to hear more about that gospel, that good news of Jesus dying on our behalf for our sake, myself, Jim, we would love to speak with you about that. But if you are a Christian now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a member of this church, I would ask you and implore you this. Use your gifts because of the gospel. And that use your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. For the church's sake, because that is, that is for whom the sake that Christ died for his church. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and so thankful for this good news that on our behalf Christ has died and been raised from the dead and we receive all the benefits of that through faith. Lord, I pray this morning that you empower your church, Crosspoint Baptist Church here, to use our gifts for the good of others and not just seeking our own good and our own benefit. And that, God, you would be honored and glorified in the building up of your church. Lord, so that when we are built up, God, when we are strengthened and encouraged, we can, be, we can flourish and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and also go in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. God, help as we use our gifts for your glory and for the good of others. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the band back up this morning. Like I said, if, if you want to hear more about this good news, I would love to speak with you about that after the service. If you would love to hear about what it means to be a member of Crosspoint Baptist Church and use your gifts here in this body, again, Jim and I would love to speak with you about that. If you are a member here already, and you are confused, and you don't, know, you don't know where to use your gifts, you don't know how to use your gifts, and you want direction, you want encouragement, 
you want just wisdom on this. Again, there's probably wise people sitting around you. There's probably people with the gift of wisdom I know are sitting in these very chairs around you who could give you wisdom and guidance on how to use your gifts here in the body of Christ. And so consider that now this morning as we worship our Lord and Savior. Would you please stand as we sing together? Thank you.